Good morning. How are you guys today? It's good to see you all. Who could tell me what shape this is? You could say it all together. Ready? One, two, three. Circle. You see that wreath over there? What, what shape is it? A circle, right? Where do circles begin? Well, they don't really have a beginning, right? They just go round and round and round and around. That's why our wreath is a circle. It's a picture of God's love for us, which never ends. It doesn't have a beginning. It doesn't have an end. God's love for us just goes around and around and around. He loves us that much. What do you notice about the color of the wreath? It's green, right? A lot of times we call those kinds of branches branches from an evergreen tree because they're always green, even in the winter. That kind of tree doesn't lose its its little leaves, those pine needles in the wintertime, they stay on. It's always green. Advent wreaths are made out of pine branches because they remind us of eternal life that God has won for us through Jesus as we have this everlasting green on the wreath. And then you'll notice up at the top, we have a candle that's lit, don't we? Every one of those candles has a name. And today, the first one that's lit is called the prophecy candle. It's one of the first things we remember in Advent is all the Old Testament prophecies about who our Savior would be. God gave us prophecies so that when the Savior came, we would be able to recognize him. I'm just going to read you two prophecies that God wrote in the Old Testament to help us understand who Jesus is. In Isaiah chapter 7, God says, Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God said one of the ways you're going to recognize the Savior is he's going to be born of a woman without a man. God's just going to miraculously place a baby inside a woman's womb. That was one thing we, we, we learn about Jesus. And then in Isaiah chapter 9, we hear, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are just a few of the prophecies that God gave to us to help us better identify Jesus, the light of the world, our Savior. During the season of Advent, we use the wreath to help us remember that Jesus actually is the Savior we've been waiting for. It helps us prepare to celebrate the coming of our King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of prophecy. We thank you for telling us exactly what the Savior would be like, where he would be born, so that we could identify him and know that Jesus is actually the Savior that you promised to send so long ago. Bless us as we continue to prepare our hearts to celebrate his birth once again this Advent season. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The gospel lesson we'll focus our attention on this morning comes from Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance 
for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. At some point, uh, a human being can only take so much. You know what I mean? Many of you have calendars that are already a little more packed than you'd like. And I'm sure everything on your calendar is a good, important thing. But a a human being can only handle so many events in a given week. And these devices that we all have that connect us to family and friends in unprecedented ways, regardless of where we live, on the one hand, they're a, a wonderful blessing, but on the other hand, they reveal our limited capacity for relationships. At some point, a human being can only genuinely maintain so many relationships. Advent is a season of preparation, right? And you can understand how this message of preparing ourselves for Christmas could come across as just one more item added to an already full life. As we scurry about, stressing, trying to figure out who to impress next, you can understand how one more thing might seem a bit overwhelming. Is that how you view the, the call to repentance preached by John the Baptist? Now I got to add God to my list of people to impress. Just one more thing to do. Boy, would that be a shame if that's what repentance was. If repentance was something that we needed to do to impress God. This Advent season, one of our goals is going to be to better understand what repentance is. Repentance is is not one more thing to, to stress us out as we scurry about during an already busy time of year. No, true repentance is relief. True repentance is relief from all of your working and striving and scurrying and stressing. Relief for for mine too. As I mentioned at the beginning of the service today, this is the beginning of a new church year. And this church year, we're going to spend a lot of time in Luke's gospel. And so one of the things that we want to keep in mind as we spend time in Luke's gospel is one of the aspects that makes his gospel unique. Luke's gospel focuses on tying the events of the salvation narrative to real events in history at specific 
points in time. Last week we talked about how after Jesus' ascension, his disciples were sent out on mission across the world. Well, many of the apostles ended up serving people in the Mediterranean region. I want you to picture for a minute an elderly couple living in Ephesus as the Apostle Paul comes for the first time to share the gospel with them. And Luke was often one of his companions. And I want you to imagine that as the gospel's being shared with this elderly couple in Ephesus, Luke's gospel is being proclaimed. And long before they had the the numbers of the chapters and the verses to help them find their way through, early on, Luke couldn't have been reading for more than four or five minutes. They hear, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while, while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And their eyes light up as they are flooded with memories of their childhood. As both husband and wife remember this long journey when they were just little kids where they went with their parents to the town where dad was from. As they remembered this real moment in their life, this empire-wide census, a census that they were on. And the light bulb goes on. Oh, that's when he was born. When I was eight. When I was 10. Luke has this tendency to tie the events of salvation to specific points in history. And that's exactly what's happening at the beginning of our text. Although for you and I, these rulers are... (laughs) People we're not real familiar with, maybe a couple, but not all of them, right? Beginning of Luke chapter 3, we hear in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, not the first year, not the 10th year, not the 12th, not the 13th, the 15th year. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while all these other guys, Pontius Pilate, Herod, his brother Philip, another guy named Lysanias, while they were ruling too, while Annas was still kind of maintaining control of the high priesthood in Jerusalem, but not really because now his son-in-law was high priest after the Romans kicked him out, but he still was there. Remember that time in history? Well, right then, in the 15th year, John came and started preaching in the wilderness around the Jordan River. And now that he's laid this setting and and told his listeners exactly when this happened, Luke links back to something that he had unpacked with quite a lot of detail at the very beginning of his gospel. Luke calls John the Baptist, John, son of Zechariah. Because in chapter one, he had explained the the story of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, a, a Jewish priest and his barren wife who were both very well along in years and still had no children. One day when Zechariah was working in the temple, the angel Gabriel appeared to him and said, you're going to have a son, but not just any son. Your son is going to be the promised forerunner to the Christ, to the Messiah. Now, Zechariah, kind of like his ancestor Abraham, initially doubted this promise of God. But somewhere between the time when Gabriel promised him that he would have a son and when his son John was born, the light bulb went on for Zechariah. 
he realized that his son was going to be this promised preparer, this last prophet who would prepare God's people for the coming of the Messiah. And so he sings this beautiful song in Luke chapter 1. I want to read you just a few words of, of what he sings. Zechariah sings, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Zechariah, a Jewish priest, got it. He understood who his son was, this last prophet. And Luke says it's to this one, to this John, this son of Zechariah, that the word of God came. And that's significant. Did you notice that before we're told what John does, before his actions are validated by prophecy, the very first thing Luke says to us is that it's to this John that the word of God came. True prophets only speak the word of God. They don't speak anything other than the word of God. And it was this word of God which came to John that was his message to prepare hearts for the coming of the Messiah. It was this word of God, this message of repentance, this preaching of a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, it would be that message, the very words of God, that would do the preparing of the people. And Luke proves it with this prophecy, this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 40. Listen to it again. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. And all mankind will see God's salvation. You are all here for a reason today. You want to know how to be right with God. Deep down, you want to know how do I get to God? How does someone like me, someone who so often had his priorities out of whack, just like you, how does someone like you, who so often has spoken words that hurt those you are in closest relationship with, just like me. How do we get to God? Isn't that why you're here? Don't you want to know what it takes to be with your God forever? The fact is, our sins, they've formed these crooked, impassable roads that make it impossible for us to get to God. 
All of our failures, they've like dug out these canyons, these valleys that we can't get across. All our best efforts to make up for all of our failures, they, they form these mountains. Terrain we cannot get across. Separating us from our God. Do, do you really think repentance is God giving you an excavator? so you can lay a better road? Do you really think repentance is God giving you some big power shovel so you could start filling in the canyon so you can get across? Or a couple boxes of dynamite so you could blow up the mountain and bring it down? Do you really think that's what repentance is? No, our work is the problem. It's not the solution. It's our work, our sins, that have made it impossible for us to get to God. God does not rely on us to fix those broken, impassable roads. He does it himself. Do you remember the list of guys at the beginning that probably meant very little to you? All those different kings and rulers. Well, they ruled over separate kingdoms. And all their kingdoms were connected by roads. And you could travel from the kingdom of Herod to the kingdom of Lysanias to the kingdom of Philip. And those roads all served their purpose just fine. But human roads don't get us to God's kingdom because Jesus' kingdom, as he tells us, is not of this world. It's a different kind of kingdom. Our efforts can't get us there. So the king came to us. The king came to this world where he crossed the wilderness that separated human beings from God as he walked under the law with perfect precision. He's the one who with his innocent death on the cross made crooked roads straight and filled in valleys of failure and destroyed mountains of our best efforts, paving a a highway to our God. This is what God has done for us. It's a humbling thing to acknowledge that our works are not the solution, but the problem. And so when the Lord comes, he humbles his people. Because that's what we need. We need to realize that it's not our efforts that get us to God. It's God's work. It's Jesus' road work that gives us a path to be with the Father forever. This is true repentance. It's God-worked humility and God-proclaimed salvation. It's what God has done for us. Do you hear what Isaiah said at the very end? And all mankind will see God's salvation. Do you see it? 
Do you see what God has done for you? To make those crooked roads straight, to, to fill in the valleys, to bring the mountains low, to make a highway for you? Do you realize that the highway is not something you start walking on now and eventually arrive at the kingdom in your death, but do you realize you've already arrived? The, the path that Christ gives us when he says, I am the way, is a path we've already walked on as we've been humbled by our God and brought to see his work of salvation. You are in his kingdom right now. God himself has prepared you. This is repentance and it's relief. It'll have an impact on all your scurrying during a very busy season. As you bounce from one event to the next, as you look to prepare your your house or your heart for, for this event or for that, as tension arrives, arises in the family gatherings, this relief will get you through. God has prepared your heart. He's prepared you for Christmas by working repentance in you. To him be glory. Amen.